couple years ago, we began a series uh, on America's culture war, <laughs> uh, making the point that, uh, that we have spiritual cancer uh, in our country. This is our 19th session, <laughs> our 19th lesson uh, on this subject, uh, narrowing it down a little bit as to what we're doing. Uh, specifically, we're in a section comparing America's cancer to the idea of metastasis, the stage where cancer rapidly spreads far and wide to other organs. And so we've pondered uh, the question from Satan's perspective, what would be the most effective way to rapidly spread societal cancer? And I've argued that uh, the most effective approach would be to attack the nucleus of a society, and that is the home. Uh, so if the home in a society can be altered in a widespread way so that it no longer represents what God designed it to be, uh, then an entire society will quickly head downhill, uh, which is what we're seeing, uh, because everyone starts in a home and is significantly affected by their experiences in the home and how they're influenced there. So it plays a major role in making us what we are. And so we've been looking at three theaters in Satan's War on the Home. We looked at the idea of dating, so essentially how we are setting up our marriages uh, then marriage itself, and more specifically, we looked at how we conduct ourselves in marriage with regard to our, our roles, our jobs, our assignments in the home as God laid those out. And then now we're looking at children, so how we go about uh, rearing our children and ensuring that our posterity will be God-fearing, uh, hopefully in the way that we are. Uh, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, and so we train our children to ensure that they will go the way that they should go. And so this is our, again, third session on this subject. We looked closely in previous sessions at the goal or the mission of parenting, highlighting that the goal is not to merely get our children to the baptistry. That should be uh, a given, um, really, at the right time. Rather, uh, we're focusing on preparing our children to live li a life in service to God, uh, which would include becoming a Christian, but it's way more than that. It's beyond that. Uh, so living the Christian life in preparation for the afterlife. Uh, last time we began a study on how we might implement that goal in a practical way um, based on what the Bible has to say about this subject. Uh, and so a good summary passage on biblical child rearing would be uh, Ephesians 6.4, which instructs parents to bring up their children in the training or discipline and admonition or instruction of the Lord with variations in wording depending upon your translation. And so Paul highlights the two fundamental practical responsibility of a parent, and that is to teach or instruct and then to train or discipline. And then you'll recall Hebrews 12 highlights that uh, that included in that idea of training is the idea of correcting or chastening. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained uh, by it. So, correcting through rebuke, uh, verse 5, and uh, chastening, these things train a child. And so, we have our third step in childbearing. And that is to correct, which is a subcategory, sub really, of the idea of training. Uh, but the Bible has so much to say about that uh, that I'm separating it into kind of its own little section. So teach, train, correct. So if we were to break down parenting into three words, that's what we're talking about. Uh, everything else fits into those three categories. 
And so we began looking at the first step, so teaching or instructing, and I made the point last time that obviously um, a parent cannot fairly discipline and train a child to be a certain way uh, or correct and rebuke a child for not doing so if the child is first, uh, if, he, if, he's not, if he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. Uh, so if he doesn't know what's expected of him, then he can't very well do that. Uh, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And while that might seem obvious, when we actually put that into effect, uh, it is not so easy. Whenever we're busy or in a hurry and a child does something that we don't appreciate, it's easy to lash out at a child. Uh, even when the child has never been told that he, he can't do whatever it is that we're uh, lashing out about. But that's not fair. It's not just and will definitely cause a child to become frustrated. And so uh, we spend time teaching, communicating the rules, what our expectations are, and that is, again, step one. Um, so if we haven't instructed our kids and we can't expect them to read our minds and obey instructions that they haven't been given. Uh, well, what are we teaching? And, and as, again, we've already noted that the goal of parenting is to prepare our children for a life and afterlife of service to God. And so we give them the teaching and training of the Lord. We must know uh, what he expects of his servants by diligently study of his word. And so we're patterning our protocols, of course, on scripture. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall teach them to your children. Right? The words of God. Speaking of them when you sit in your house, walk in the way, I walk by the way, lie down, rise up, that your, your days and the days of your children uh, may be multiplied. So we're to teach our word, God's word to our kids and do so continually. Uh, we work it into our days in a regular way everywhere we can. Uh, last time I also discussed Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, a proverb, and as such, a generality, not a hard and fast rule about what will necessarily happen when a child is older. Uh, if a child, even if a child were reared perfectly, he still has free will to decide to ignore the right way. Uh, but with proper training in the way he should go, then in general, a child is, is, is going to go the right way. Uh, but the phrase that I wanted to begin emphasizing with regard to step one in teaching is this idea of in the way he should go. Uh, applying that phrase in child rearing is obviously a very critical thing. Uh, the New American Standard Bible notes that this phrase literally means according to his way. Uh, so train up a child according to his way. In other words, personalize your child rearing tactics. Uh, some kids are different. Uh, individual personalities should be considered in child rearing. Uh, gender, for example, and so forth, but, but it's also the case that, that part of training a child according to his way is going to include uh, spiritual training as well. So last time I gave a paraphrase of this verse that helps me at least to, to apply this in a practical way. Train a child now to be the way he should be then, and when he gets there, he'll be that way. And so we look at a child's behavior now, and then we fast forward in our minds to what that behavior is going to look like in its adult form when he's accountable, if it's left unchecked. And then we consider, okay, will that behavior as an adult warrant God's disfavor? Uh, would that same behavior in its adult form be ungodly or unchristian? Well, if so, 
then we need to be sure to train and discipline for the elementary version of those behaviors now. So train up a child now to be the way he needs to be then, and when he gets old, he'll behave the way he was trained to behave. Uh, train little Johnny to control those behaviors now that will be unacceptable to God then, and then when Johnny gets to the age of accountability, he'll be much less likely to struggle with that behavior. He's going to be prepared for Christianity. He's going to be prepared for this life of service to God. And remember, again, that is the ultimate goal of parenting. So instilling these important virtues into the character of our children through training when they are young is going to be the most effective way of making sure that they're going to be a part of a person when they get old. I mean, this isn't uh, rocket science. So we took some time last time to highlight what we should not be emphasizing in our teaching. Things like money and riches, emphasizing that to our children, fame and glory, beauty and charm, strength and athletic ability, as well as intelligence and how the world defines that. Uh, so as we prepare our children for God, we don't make these things, money and riches and fame and glory, popularity, uh, beauty and charm, strength and athletic ability and worldly intelligence. We don't make these things our emphasis. Uh, these things can be blessings given to us by God. They're not inherently sinful by any means, but they are not our emphasis whatsoever. And we want to be careful in our uh, training that we don't make that the case. Rather, we emphasize those characteristics and traits that God emphasizes. Uh, the term we use is the idea of virtues. If even a child is known by his deeds, whatever what he what whether what he does is pure and right. So our child should be known not for the toys that he has or the popularity uh, that he has or, or how beautiful she is or how fast and strong he is, how smart and ahead of her age she is, but for her purity and her righteous behavior. That is supposed to be the emphasis that we're having as parents and the virtues that undergird purity and righteousness are what we're going to be spending time on in the next Oh, uh, this session, the next one, possibly another one after that. I uh, recall this fitting summary of what not to emphasize in the things we as parents teach. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glor glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight says the Lord. So what virtues are we expected to have as Christians that will make or break where we spend eternity? Uh, obviously we'll want to emphasize those things in our rules and in our training and, and discipline. We want to fulfill our ultimate purpose as parents, that is to prepare our children for life and the afterlife. And so we want to make it, again, as easy as possible for our kids to live the Christian life whenever they are Accountable. That should always be in the back of our mind. Okay, what about self-control? Is this an important virtue to emphasize in our kids? I mean, certainly. Uh, it's, it's that last fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians 5. Uh, most other virtues fall under this one. Does God expect self-control of adults? Of course. Now, this is fundamental to what God's expectations are. So, logically... We must train a child in how to do this, how to be self-controlled when he's young. He must become accustomed to telling himself no at times, to accept what he's not allowed to do, to accept what he's not allowed to have, to accept what he's not allowed to touch. Uh, 
and to do so with a good attitude. Now notice, it is hard to have self-control, right? I mean, it stretches us to not get what we want or to not do what we long to do. And yet Christians must do so, right? And so it's a parent's job to help children develop that skill and make it easier for them whenever they're older. So not allowing them to have just anything they want by buying it for them when they beg and spoil them with things. We can say, well, I didn't have that. I want him to get to have that. Uh, not allowing them to take, to just take anything they want when they see something in front of them that they're coveting. Uh, or to touch things that aren't theirs, being presumptuous. Uh, but rather forcing them, number one, to accept that they cannot have everything they want. It's just not going to be good for them. Is that important for a child to know? To learn that young? Number two, to be patient in those cases where they can have something, but just not yet. Just wait, gotta wait. And number three, to realize that the principle of authority always applies. They must have permission when they want to touch or take something that is not theirs. So notice that's hard for adults, right? Whenever we see something we want, even if it's something we know that we, we should wait to have, or in some cases shouldn't even have at all, we're tempted to not control ourselves if it's within our power to go ahead and take what we want. Even if we know that's not really the wisest thing. The more we help our children to develop that skill, uh, the easier it's going to be from, for them when they're our age. So with that in mind, it is critical that we as parents not give in to a child when he is pressing vehemently for his way. Uh, and instead, should be, uh, he should be learning self-control. Now, he may be pouting. He may be nagging all day for what he wants, just driving us crazy and making us just want to give in just so he'll shut up. Uh, he may be whining about not getting his way. Uh, he may be demanding that he gets his way. He's even making a scene. And he may even be carrying out a full-fledged tantrum. And notice that these behaviors are all manipulation techniques. They're really, they're terrorist tactics, if you think about it. Right? It's pirating techniques. Give me what I want or else. Right? It's a form of terrorism. They are the making of a robber and a thief and a bully, if you allow that to happen. So a parent must not only, number one, resist these techniques so the child doesn't come to believe that such terrorism and manipulation is appropriate and effective. It works. And, and hey, maybe I should just try that again because, hey, it's effective. Okay, so notice that's the first step. Many parents don't go that far. Uh, and others only go that far. And that is resisting. But number two, we as parents must actually make those behaviors counterproductive to deter that behavior and send the clear message that that kind of behavior is not going to be tolerated. See, notice simply not giving in doesn't actually teach self-control to a child. It doesn't teach the child to actually control himself. It just teaches him that specific technique that he tried. It's not effective. It doesn't really work. I need to try another technique. He just needs to try something else. He doesn't actually have to accept the word no. He just needs to be more crafty in his plan. So a parent might be happy because at least he stopped hounding me, uh, but he didn't actually teach him to control himself. And so no, you know, a parent must make the behavior actually 
counterproductive. The child must learn that not accepting a parent's decision with the appropriate attitude results in pain of some sort, which we'll talk about later. The fear of pain then becomes a deterrent next time. The child says, wait, I better tell myself no or there will be pain. Right? This isn't complicated. Uh, even little Quintus, uh, when he was six months old, began learning that lesson. Uh, when he would reach for my tablet or my phone, he got a little thump. He got a little pop on the hand. And it's not even hard enough to even make him cry. I mean, we're already telling, we can already tell it's going to be hard to make this boy cry. But he'll stop and look at us like, man, what was that about? And then what does he do? He tries it again. Well, guess what? After a few times, he's, he started getting it. He began to associate pain with something he was trying to do that his parents said no. All right, so now uh, we'll see him begin to reach, uh, and then he'll, he'll go ahead and stop himself. He, seven months old now. He, he'll start, and he, he, you can see him stop. The, the wheels are turning. See, now he's learning self-control. And again, is that not important for Christianity? Is that not important to God? Is it hard for me and for Julie or any of us as parents to thump a little six-month-old? You are crazy if you think that is not hard. <laughs> it's hard to do that. But you know what? It's, it's our job. They must learn to tell themselves no. But another area of self-control, and this is perhaps harder on moms, I think, in particular, to train into their kids. Do all adults suffer I mean, is suffer, suffering an important part of life? Must an adult be able to cope with suffering? Okay, yeah, it's fundamental life, but Christians in particular have to handle suffering in the right way. Did God expect Job to handle his suffering with self-restraint? Did God expect that? Yeah. If anyone ever had an excuse to lose his self-control in response to suffering and melt down, and have a tantrum, and give up, it would have been Job. And yet, what did God expect of Job? He expected him to control himself. When Job lost himself and began wallowing in misery, even questioning the justice of God and what was happening to him, what did God do? Okay, God's response was, hey, prepare yourself like a man. Job 38, 3, Job 40, verse 7. Control yourself. You can handle this. All right, now similarly, a child has to learn to cope with suffering in preparation for life. What can a parent do to help with that? Well, for example, when a child falls and gets a bump or a bruise, and you quickly assess the situation, and you know this is not a real serious injury, and yet the child's melting down. Isn't it true that giving sympathy to the child in that instance would tend to encourage over-exaggerations and drama in that child? See, babying would tend to encourage a woe-is-me attitude and will even encourage manipulations by that child. See, the child likes the sympathy, right? We all do. The child likes the attention. The child likes the doting and the pampering uh, that comes whenever he gets hurt. And so when he's receiving this sympathy, when it's not necessary, it's like giving the child a reward for that behavior, and therefore you're training him from a young age, before he even knows any better, to wallow in his misery, and in order to get sympathy and attention, to whine, to complain, make sure everybody hears and knows that he needs this sympathy, which, keep in mind, is that behavior going to be acceptable as an adult? By mollycoddling the child, we'd be training a child to be sinful as an adult. 
Now just ask the Israelites who God started executing for whining and complaining, right? The child is going to be stunted in his growth rather than learning how to cope with the pain that is going to be inevitable in life. And also, isn't it true that a child often learns from our responses those things that are unbearable, right? Isn't that true? They learn that if we freak out about certain things, they should too. So whenever we express fear or intense uh, concern and anxiety about something, you know, even a baby learns to feel the same way about those things. You know, moms, you've probably seen, seen that. You know, maybe your, your baby uh, leans over, almost falls out of his high chair, starts, starts crying, not from what actually happened because you freaked out about it, right? It scares him. Well, if our response to a bump or scrape or cut highlights this as serious and unbearable to a child, the child's going to learn to also view that level of suffering and pain as serious, and he's going to be less likely to be able to handle it when the child could otherwise handle it if he's just taught to view pain as bearable. And so our tendency to mollycoddle a child can actually lower his threshold of tolerance for pain and suffering, which, which is not getting that child ready for life. It's not doing him any favors. He will not be able to handle the kind of suffering that Christians handle and are going to be handling, just mark it down, in the coming decades, if he is not better trained to deal with it. It is our responsibility as parents to not baby our children, but to prepare them for a life of service to God, which will involve suffering that they must be prepared to handle. Now, of course, there's a balance to this. You know, if the injury is serious enough, comfort and sympathy by parents would be appropriate. I'm not, so I'm not talking about that, but we must keep in mind our higher responsibility, and that is to prepare our children for life. Even the perfect father, Almighty God, did not mollycoddle Job in his pain and suffering. We have to train our children to handle pain and suffering, or when the suffering and pain of life hit, they won't be able to weather that. They're going to roll over in their beds, and they're going to expect everyone to give them sympathy and service. So with that in mind, notice that the, the movement to eliminate uh, winners, for example, from sports and games with kids, everyone gets the medal, everyone gets the trophy. Even if they didn't really win, even if they didn't really perform the best, even if they didn't try their hardest, and this same principle applies. That is not preparing, them, uh, preparing those children for life, which is the goal. So instead of encouraging a child to wallow in misery, we should keep in mind the attitude of passages like James 1, count it all joy, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You know, several passages remind us to view suffering as a positive thing in many cases. Knowing that suffering and trials produce beneficial things like holiness, righteousness, peace, uh, perseverance, character, hope, strength. These are all specifically mentioned in passages as coming from suffering. So suffering is not something to wallow in, but rather something to be encouraged by. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, Hebrews 12, 6. We've got to try to get that through. So if self-control is an important virtue, is this an important virtue to instill in our children? Certainly. So think about it. A lack of self-control and sinning. They, they go hand in hand, right? I mean, that's what sin is about. Sin generally boils down to a lack of self-control. So why wouldn't we emphasize self-control in our childhood? Uh, actually, trying to look for opportunities to teach about it and train 
children to have that. You know, and I, I wouldn't emphasize this so much if it wasn't alarming to me as I travel around the country and just see this as a problem. It's not being emphasized. You know, how effective would a football player be on, on game day if he hasn't been taught the plays, right? So if we want a child to have self-control at the age of accountability, we have to teach them about that through watching for behaviors when they're young that require growth and self-control and then training them in it. All right, what about honesty? Is that an important virtue to instill in a child? <laughs> honesty? This is, this is disappearing from society, right? All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We take that serious? Clearly God does not like, he, he doesn't look kindly on lying. Right? So after all, I mean, think about it. The idea of faith or trust, is that not central to the Bible message? You know, trust in God, a firm belief that God is not lying to us. He's trustworthy. He's honest. That's essential for our salvation. And he wants the same thing from his followers. Conduct that will cause others to view Christians as trustworthy. People that can be counted on to, 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 do, or, uh, to do as they say or to speak the truth at all times. You can count on whatever they say. So what employer can, be, can count on an employee who is not trustworthy? You know, who doesn't do as he says he's going to do. Uh, who, who maybe portrays himself as honest, but, but behind the employer's back, he's actually stealing things from, this com from the company. What wife can count on a husband who isn't honest? Who isn't where he says he's going to be when she needs him? And who doesn't do the things that he commits to do for the family. Well, again, being an honest, trustworthy adult starts where? Well, it starts with teaching a child to be honest and trustworthy. And so parents must teach a child to be completely honest at all times. A zero-tolerance policy for dishonesty, even when they're very young, not just uh, teenagers. So you've heard the phrase, the ends justify the means. The idea that, hey, if the end result is good, then, then the way that a person gets to that end result is irrelevant. You know, even if they do something bad to get there. And that, that, that mentality often underlies our self-justification for dishonesty. So think about our politicians and government officials. Think about our media uh, and, and atheists. Uh, and often this kind of rationale, um, you see this in their actions. You know, it, it'll be okay if I spin this story a little bit, even if it's not really true, because this is going to influence people to do what I th really think they need to do, which is going to be better for everyone. So it's going to be okay for me to lie in this case. You know, many citizens will, will fudge on their taxes a bit, you know, it, in order to escape paying as much taxes. Again, you know, we justify ourselves by saying, hey, you know, it'd be better if the rotten government did, didn't get as much, as, as much money from me to do even more evil. So I'm just going to fudge a little bit here so I don't have to pay as much. So we're lying, right? We're dishonest. Others will, will plagiarize or, uh, or attempt to take credit for somebody else's work. And they'll argue, you know, you're going to be able, I'm going to be able to do a lot more good than that person would by, by just taking it and making it my own, making it be from me. So it's going to be okay. You know, and I, I even see preachers have done this, you know, arguing, hey, you know, it's for God, so I can pirate this idea from this other preacher without giving him acknowledgement. Uh, some preachers will even will justify Rahab's lie in Joshua 2 on the grounds that, hey, the ends justify the means. It's okay to lie sometimes. It was okay for her to lie, they say, 
since it saved the Israelites' lives in so doing. So all these kind of examples come down simply to a lack of concern about the importance of being totally honest and truthful. And again, guess where that mentality is first ingrained? It's childhood. Uh, and we've all personally witnessed young children who are already proficient at being dishonest. Have you seen this? You watch this? They will spin a story for their benefit to get what they want or to get out of trouble. Uh, they'll tell half-truths or, or white lies to get away from something, uh, to get away with something. And the, and the truth is, sometimes I even see that the truth is obvious to an adult uh, that's watching it. But then I'll see the parents either chuckling as though they're, they're proud of the, the ingenuity of the child, uh, and then they don't really do much to firmly correct that. Sometimes the parents are just too gullible to even see the lie. They just wouldn't even believe it of their own child, whatever, whatever the child is spinning. Uh, sometimes they're really just too tired to deal with it, too lazy, uh, or too busy to look very deeply into the matter. And at other times, they immediately put on blinders and go about trying to justify the child's lie. I see that a lot and excuse or defend the, the child rather than grilling that child until the truth comes out. And let me tell you, that grilling process, uh, whenever you're trying to figure out if your child's lying, many of us can attest to this. This can be exhausting. Uh, but oh, how critical. One of our kids, I won't tell you which one, uh, was having a tickle fight with him. And uh, that narrows it down, by the way. And just as he, he, uh, he does with his siblings, when he was no longer in the mood, in the heat of the moment, he commanded me, stop. All right, now that kind of talk is not tolerated in our family. And he knew it. And immediately, you could see his face look at me in horror. And he began backtracking. He said, oh, I, I didn't say stop. I said, stall. stall. All right, well, it, it took way more time and energy than I really had to devote to this, to get him to admit the truth. But it had to be done. Uh, and, the and the following discipline had to be done as well. Uh, honesty has to be ingrained in a child. So other kids learn also that, you know, it feels good to be better than others at something. And it feels even better when others acknowledge that about it. And so they're tempted to stretch the truth in order to make themselves look better. You see this happen with kids? Now, neither the motivation to be better than others, nor the means by which many kids get there by lying, is acceptable to God. So a parent has to see it for what it is. It's dishonesty and then address that if they want their child to be honest as an adult. Train up a child now in the way they should be then. And keep in mind also that exaggerated pain when a child gets hurt in order to receive sympathy and attention, that's not honest. That's dishonest. And we gotta watch for that. Uh, what about honoring commitments? If a child says he's gonna do something, it's essential that a parent make sure he does, he does that. He, he, that he, he, otherwise he's being trained to lie. Now, an important supplement to this, a child will be trained to be like us, whether or not we want that. I mean, they can't help it. I mean, they're around us, they're observing us day in and day out, so a parent has to be truthful and trustworthy as well, following through with our commitments. Um, I'm thinking of a man right now that, I mean, he just really struggles with this because he will tend, oh man, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna take care of that, I'll get that done this week. And he'll say things like that and then it doesn't happen. His children are seeing this constantly. Uh, you know, and 
great Christian man, and yet he's got a problem saying things and not following through. And any child that sees that growing up, what are they going to do? They're, they're tr being trained to think, you know, it's, it's okay to be, you know, genuinely interested in being honest, but when, you know, when push comes to shove, it's not really that, that big a deal. So again, we're keeping in mind the big picture. If we don't teach honesty and route out dishonesty from a child, uh, then we're making it harder on them when they're accountable adults. Uh, with di when dishonesty will be ingrained in them by habit, and then the little lies turn into bigger ones. Uh, so we're not doing them any favors by not addressing the issue uh, while they are young. So is honesty an important virtue to instill in our children? According to Scripture, it is very important. It's notable, it's notable what Jesus said to the Jews about the devil in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, no wonder, you know, truth, truthfulness and honesty is so important to God. So if we don't want our children to follow in the way of the devil, then we're going to diligently teach them to be uh, honest. All right, that's two virtues down. We've got, we got a lot more to go. And we'll uh, begin there in another session. So no doubt Satan does, does not want us to rear our children using the biblical model. Why? Because it works. <laughs> you know, God authored it. So in order to thwart his ambitions, we need to take time to look closely at what God expects of us as parents and as grandparents, and then be humble enough to consider the possibility that, you know, I don't have all the answers, and, and I, maybe I need to rethink my approach and, some, and get more in line with what the Bible says on this. Maybe I, maybe I do know the truth on it, I'm not implementing it good enough, and I need to step it up on that. Uh, what do I need to do to please God and make sure my kids are prepared to serve him uh, forevermore? Uh, in our next session, we'll, we'll keep moving forward then with these virtues that we must be teaching our kids. So we have to be sure to look for opportunities to teach these virtues in, in real-life situations that make those virtues come to life in a practical way. It's easy to tell our kids, look, you need to be truthful. Uh, but actually implementing that, you're going to have to look for times to actually teach this in a practical way in order to make it, make it come to life uh, so that they'll be able to apply these virtues on their own when they are uh, themselves accountable. If you're not a member of the Lord's Church, we always want to give you an opportunity to become one following the simple prescription that God gives in the Bible, following the evidence, coming to the conclusion God exists, the Bible is His Word, and therefore when it talks about Jesus being the Son of God, accepting that and believing it, John 8, 24, uh, stop doing those things which will not be good for you anyway, repent, Luke 13, 3, confess Christ verbally with your mouth, Romans 10, 9 and 10, be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38, being added to the one church of the Bible that Jesus built and died for, His bride, uh, His church, uh, where you must remain faithful to the end if you wish to receive a crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If that's something you'd like to do tonight, we encourage you to come forward now while we stand and sing. Oh,
Please be seated. 